like I said, Revelation chapter 11, we're going to do the first half. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be together. I'm always excited to be together, but I feel like the Lord's really renewed an excitement in me just to be able to share the gospel and not have to worry about what other people think. So I'm not worried about what you think in a good way, but at the same time, I'm thankful to have you guys here in this opportunity to share it with you. Um, you know, the word says, uh, that the desire of the righteous is good. And sometimes it's hard to determine what our motives are. In fact, it's sometimes it's kind of impossible to right? the Bible says that, um, only God can do that. You know, we don't know how desperately wicked our hearts are, but God does. But when we come to the Lord and we follow him and know him and seek him, he begins to put desires in our heart to do things and pursue things. And sometimes we stumble over them, um, over whether we should do them or not. And we rationalize reasons why we shouldn't do them for our own uh, sake. Uh, I'm too wicked to do that. I could never say that. But in honesty, if God's put that desire on your heart, you know, you may not be Billy Graham and you may not be Corey Ten Boom or anyone else of these folks who are giant pillars of the faith, but we're all part of that structure. We're all part of that stones. If God's giving you a desire to do something for him, I encourage you, step out and do it. You know, you may feel dumb. You may feel um, all sorts of thoughts and emotions coming against or reasons why not to do it, but do it. And if God's in it, I think it'll be clear that God's in it. If he's not in it, you know, eventually it'll be clear that he's not in it. But God is never going to chastise you for trying to do something for him. I think the only uh, servant that he had harsh words for in the scripture was the one who said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man and I buried my stuff. So here it is. It's, it's a little dirty, but I buried it and you can have it back. And God was angry with that servant. You know, <laughs> you knew I was a hard man. You know, I'll show you what a hard man's all about. You know, God is not a hard man. And that's sometimes hard to come come to grips with just how gentle he really is with us and when he gives us a desire for something i just want to encourage you you know if god's putting something on your heart to do or to say do it and it's better to do it and to to fail so to speak than to to, to not do it um at all uh, but tonight um revelation chapter 11 and i did my studying in the king james and i'm going to be reading out of a, a modern kind of version of the king james so Forgive me if some of the words don't exactly match up. And I had popcorn. I've got a little popcorn in my throat, so forgive me. <laughs> I'll try not to hack up on camera. But uh, the title of tonight's message is The Two Witnesses. The Two Witnesses, Revelation 11, 1 through 14. And just a reminder of Revelation, uh, John, the Apostle John, in his old age, exiled to the island of Patmos. And during his time there, even spending time with the Lord on the Lord's Day, God revealed to him and I believe brought him to this time in history and showed him uh, it as it unfolded from heaven's perspective. Uh, but Revelation talks about the end of the world as we know it, among other things, uh, the Great Tribulation, the worst time period to come on earth. You know, if you've seen memes about 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, they keep getting worse, you know, it's going <laughs> to... Uh, these years are going to be years that we look back on fondly if you happen to be around for the tribulation and wish that these awful years were back. These would be the good old days, so to speak, in comparison. Uh, but really, Revelation is about the judgment on the nations and those who follow Satan, those who have rejected Jesus. The church has been raptured, and God is trying to, in one last chance really, give people time to repent because hell is coming 
and coming quickly, and their allegiance to it is going to be uh, enforced. Uh, but again, as bad as this time is, as bad as God's judgment is, uh, hell is the finality, the totality, the eternality, if that's a word, of God's judgment. You know, God is giving these judgments on earth to get people to repent, uh, even though some of them, uh, from my understanding, can't. Uh, they've made their final choice. But hell is forever, and we know that God didn't make hell for man. God made hell for those who, uh, the angels who fell and turned from him. And, the, and Satan ultimately wants us to go to a place that we were never designed to go. I mean, that's the whole, the whole kit and caboodle of the Bible. We see Satan trying to get man to go uh, where mankind uh, was never meant to go. Uh, in the last chapter, we saw the seven thunders, you know, the voice of God, the seven number of perfection. And we're not exactly told what the seven thunders were said, but we know it had to be a strong message to the people who wouldn't and potentially couldn't repent. The people on earth who had faced all those judgments to begin with, the seven trumpets and, and many others. And uh, uh, <laughs> I love seeing Lois Savannah there listening. <laughs> um, but to see that God is working in this way and that something about this, God was uh, John was able to write down everything in Revelation about the future and we're able to be given... Um, you know, insight into this future war. You know, any any good general is not going to give up his secrets before a war happens. But God knows he's going to win and it's no problem. And he tells exactly how it's going to happen. But for some reason, John couldn't share these words that we saw in the last chapter. And then John ate the little scroll that had tasted sweet in his mouth and bitter in his stomach. And we liken that to Revelation itself and prophecy. Man, sometimes it's sweet to read. It's exciting to read. It's fun to read. Sometimes it's confusing and we don't know, but... Uh, you know, it's also kind of scary to read, but at the same time, when we really begin to digest it, it gets a little bitter, man, to think about these things actually happening to people, that the world is coming to an end, that the age of grace is over, the age of the church is over, and judgment has begun, man, um, that's really bitter if we're honest about it. We should not be excited about people facing God's judgment. Yeah, it's exciting. Yes, God is coming back, and judgment is happening, and finally righteousness is going to rule. But at the same time, to think about the effects on these people's lives and their eternity um, should be something bitter. Uh, but today we're going to see the second woe. The If we look back from chapter 9, uh, one woe could have been those all that stuff that happened up until chapter 9. But there's two other, two other trumpets of equal, so to speak, value coming upon here. And we remember a woe is an exclamation of grief that, again, in Revelation, it's judgment. But I don't think God is really pleased about it. Yes, there's some pleasure in righteousness being exuded from uh, the creator of all, I bet. But just like with Noah and the flood, God did not um, find it pleasurable uh, to kill the people, to wipe out the earth, right? He found pleasure in Noah, found pleasure in Noah's family and saving them, right? That brought him lots of pleasure. But having to destroy the world he loved and created, uh, I'm sure did not. But as we get into it, I've got like two pages here of current events, and bear with me because I do want to read through them. Uh, if you're uh, unfortunate enough to receive the flurry of emails I send out every week, I don't mind if you don't read them. Um, but the point is, I'll, there's so much going on in the world right now. It's happening so quickly, and it lines up with Scripture. I mean, this is the stuff that got me saved, and see it come, the, come to pass, uh, you know, uh, it's it blows my mind. Uh, and yet at the same time, it also... Um, is sobering and, uh, you know, to be honest, frightening and things I, I need to take to the Lord to 
uh, manage the fear of these things that are coming. You know, again, as we see these things happen, and as Christians, especially in America, we have an opportunity to resist in a holy way and stand up for righteousness and vote for things uh, to some degree, right, um, depending on how fair the elections are. Uh, but at the same time, um, in the end, these things eventually will win. It might take the rapture. It might take God removing the church for these things to finally take over. But we know by revelation they eventually will. Uh, this is uh, the Department of Homeland Security releases new rules on extremism. Remember DHS and the war on terror? Well, eventually the government would turn that sword on its own people, and it has at this point. They will now target anyone who questions the 2020 election or challenges the COVID narrative, uh, to name a few. Uh, uh, let's see, I'm going to try to read an exact quote from them. Uh, the assessment pointed to sociopolitical developments such as narratives of fraud, this is their words, in the recent general election, the emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol. We know that that was not, you know, they've ignored plenty of violence across the country in the past summer, but this protest which was mainly nonviolent, is somehow uh i won't get into it but i think we can see where they're going there conditions related to the covid19 pandemic and conspiracy theories promoting violence right you know again i'm not here promoting violence but at the same time to have anyone end up on their radar who questions their narratives about covid which have shifted over and over and they themselves are now shifting in them uh to anyone to even say that the election should be investigated right like these things are worrisome, but if we look throughout history and other uh, takeovers uh, of communism, we see that the same thing happened, and it's happening here. Uh, the guidance also calls for more funding uh, for their insider threat to purge any of DHS employees who basically don't have right think in their mind, who don't go along the party lines. And one of the big things uh, that was pointed out was that the DHS struggles to even define what extremist behavior actually means, right? It's a big blanket term for basically whatever they want it to mean uh, of your disagreement with them. And this one's a big one. Worldwide social credit industry. I don't know if you guys are familiar with China, but China has social credit to where if you are a better Communist Party member, you are afforded more freedoms and luxuries in society. They have apps on your phone where you can answer questions and memorize things about the dear leader and all sorts of things where you can rat out your neighbors. Uh, where you can't take the bus anymore, where you can't leave town anymore. Um, and this is coming to the whole world. When Justin Trudeau in Canada uh, idolizes China, I could send you a video clip of him a couple of years ago talking about how much he idolizes China and what they're doing over there. Uh, but sincerely, infrastructure to support social credit systems represents 16.1 billion opportunity by 2026. So the investment opportunity in 2026, this is the Western world, guys. This is in America. This isn't, they're not talking about China here. Uh, the report evaluates some of the leading companies that are anticipated to drive social credit market evolution. This report includes detailed quantitative analysis driven by market needs with forecasting for all major infrastructure elements from 2021 to 2026. That, all infrastructure, guys. All infrastructure. Financial. Social. Uh, medical. Uh, anything you can think of. Companies listed, Amazon, Apple, Bosch, Canon, Cisco, Facebook, Google, IBM, uh, Samsung, Sony, Panasonic, the list goes on of all these companies that would be potentially involved in this. Uh, and I'm going to read through this because I think it's important. It says, the report finds uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has facilitated substantial interest in citizen monitoring solutions. Governments want to monitor their, their citizens. Where are they going? What are they doing? 
Infrastructure to support social credit systems represents 16.7 billion global opportunity in the next four years. Cameras and other optical equipment for social credit systems will reach uh, over 700 million by 2026. You know, opportunity to sell more cameras, guys, an opportunity to set up more networks and more AI. In China, they have AI that sees you on the street and picks you out who you are and knows your score. Advanced computing will be used in conjunction with AI to provide nearly flawless identification and tracking. Say goodbye to privacy. Various forms of biometrics will be used for identity verification as well as verifying the presence and location of people. Starting as tangential to public safety and homeland security, the social credit market becomes mainstream by 2026. You know, they're going to sell it to us with safety, guys. Social credit systems represent the ability to identify uh, people and things, track activities for purposes and grading behaviors, and applying a social credit scoring. A given methodology depends largely on the, on the objectives and metrics of said system. Um, most systems will have socially acceptable behavior at their core. What you post online, guys, what you say, is it socially acceptable? Does the media go with it? Uh, a society as a whole must determine good, bad, and marginal behavior within the social credit market. Um, I won't go on. Uh, Internet-enabled devices like smartphones, wearable devices, security systems, uh, censored objects, thank you, your Amazon Alexa, surveillance devices that use biometrics, you know, your thumbprint, uh, computer vision, um, broadband wireless, 5G, anyone, uh, AI, big data analytics, etc. The point is, is that they want this to come here. They're forecasting what kind of a market it is, how they can make money in it, and that governments want it. The government wants it. Canada's done it. They shut down the banks. They tracked all the people. Uh, you know, just over uh, a protest, right? A peaceful protest with truckers. Um, you know, to think that they haven't done it here, uh, there's there's several reasons we won't get into, but to think if they could do it here, do you think they would? Do you think they wouldn't? And this last one before we get into the scripture, and I'll get off my political soapbox, but I think that these are fitting because this is this is the system, guys. This is the system that will be used in the last days. It may not, it may be four generations now from the system, right? This is just a baby version, but this is what's coming. The Antichrist is going to be able to control what you, you know, you won't be able to buy or sell with this social credit. You know, you start posting bad things, they'll turn off your bank like they did in Canada. What do you do when they turn off your bank? What do you do when they turn off your bank and there's no cash? Cash has been changed, right? You're not going to be able to do anything. But this guy, uh, Noah Harari, a top advisor to the World Economic Forum. Remember that, World Economic Forum. Uh, these are the guys with the Great Reset. You own nothing and be happy. Uh, do a little research into them and you'll see how much power they have. Uh, but this guy is an advisor to Klaus Schwab. And he says, data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build digital dictatorships. Uh, hacking organism elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you hack something, you can also engineer it. In the past, many tyrants and governments wanted to do it, but nobody understood biology well enough, and nobody had enough computing power to, uh, to hack all these people. Neither the Gestapo nor the KGB could do it. But soon, you hear how hopeful this guy is, at least some corporations and governments will be able to systematically hack all the people. Think metaverse people, this big push to get everyone um, on the metaverse. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. And he says, not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design. And the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, 
These are the new driving forces of evolution. Guys, I feel like I'm reading a science fiction novel, but this is legit stuff. Humans are hackable animals. The whole idea that humans have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside of me. So whatever I choose, whether I choose the election or I choose something in the supermarket, this is my free will, he says. That is over. We talk about brain chips coming. We talk about social credit. We talk about even, you know, I'm not saying the vaccine is something that's going to, it's got nanobots in it. It's going to take over your body. But think about that. Think about where this is heading. What they would ideally like to do is remove free will. This is, this is not some conspiracy theory. This is real policy, real people, real movers and shakers who are controlling the world. This is what they want. They want these things. I want you to go, not now. Um, it might be a better use of your time than now, but later on. Uh, look up on YouTube, Jack Hibbs and Charlie Kirk, The Great Reset from March 2nd. Jack Hibbs and Charlie Kirk, The Great Reset. It's, it's a little over an hour long, but I want to tell you, it's, a, it's, it's the greatest primer on the World economic, um, economic Forum and what's happening in the world today to where when you read the news and you go, why would they do that? Well, it's clearly outlined and available for you to research on yourself exactly why they would do it. It's not hidden stuff, guys. It's not um, conspiracy theories from the 90s. It's, it's reality. But I want you to listen to it because in that hour, you know, it's, I said to Ashley, I was like, this is one I was listening to on the way home in the truck yesterday. Um, it would take me 20 hours to try and wrap up everything that they say so succinctly in that hour. It's, it's good stuff. But with that, as we get into the actual Bible... I want you to know that we're living in an extraordinary time, a time that uh, the prophets of old uh, would look forward to. Uh, but Lord, we love you, and God, we thank you that despite all these things going on, we know that in some sense they'll win on earth for a time period, but we know that you've already won at the cross. We know that we have the truth, and God, you said the truth sets us free, which it does. God, we pray that these things wouldn't come to pass in our lifetime, especially for our children, to think of the implications of these things, the re-education camps, the the horrors of these things, we pray that in that sense that the rapture would happen and you'd remove us. But Lord, at the same time, if we look through history um, and we see people in death camps, people in concentration camps, even today in China and North Korea and other parts of the world being beheaded for their faith, to think that God, it could not happen here, um, I believe is foolish. But God, we pray that it, in some sense it wouldn't happen here and you allow the gospel to go out. But um, God, we pray uh, for our day and age and for our children uh, the strength to continue and endure, uh, that you'd give us the power like we see you gave to the two prophets to endure. Uh, let us endure. Uh, but uh, most of all, come soon and uh, uh, bring us home and bring all those home that would choose you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let's read Revelation chapter 11 and we'll take it in hopefully some bite-sized chunks here. Hey, Mia. I'm glad you're here. Uh, but Revelation chapter 11, read the first two verses. It says, uh, when he says, I was given, that's John. So it says, I, John, was given a reed like a measuring rod. The angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. But exclude the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. So John in heaven with his angel he's given um you know uh, uh, a tape measure a heavenly tape measure to go uh, get the measurements of the temple 
you know, uh, the temple had specific measurements. And then uh, in Solomon's day and even in the tabernacle, God gave instructions on how to build it. And this temple will re be rebuilt to specific measurements. This will be a physical temple on earth that is measurable. We know today that the Temple Institute is working on rebuilding. You know, obviously they can't rebuild the temple now because of everything going on over there. But they are getting all the elements together, all the golden implements. Um, you know, if you look up things about the prophecy of the red heifer, you can see that that's coming to pass. Uh, but they're getting ready. So as soon as they can touch that ground, uh, there will be a third temple rebuilt. Or is it the fourth temple? I forget. Uh, but the angel tells them, don't measure the outside court. Now, if we remember the temple that there is, uh, you know, we have the, the inner court, we have um, the bronze laver, we have the holy place, and you could go into the holy of holies, and that there is an outer court around it. In Jerusalem, they would come to the outer court and they would buy um, uh, the animals for sacrifice and all that. Uh, but that the outer court is going to be left out. And it's interesting that if they're going to try and build another temple, that they would have to leave the outer court out. You would think that, you know, uh, uh, if the Bible didn't know what was going to happen, the Bible would say that the whole place is built. But the Bible says that the outer place, the outer court doesn't count anymore. That even though it's supposed to be there, it's taken over by other people. Um, it's taken over by the Gentiles. Um, and it's interesting if you look now with the Muslims, with the Wailing Wall, with potentially the positions of the temple, there's a couple different theories on where it would go. Um, but that they're not allowed uh, to be even be in there and worship, that it's under uh, Muslim control. But at some point, the Jews are going to be able to rebuild at least part of the temple on the Temple Mount. But the outer part will not be to them. The outer part will remain, uh, it looks like, to the Gentiles, to the Muslims. Um, we know that uh, the Antichrist is going to broker the peace deal, and part of the peace deal, I believe, is going to be involved building this temple. Uh, but it's interesting, if we look at the issue with Russia right now, and the alignment with Russia and China going on, uh, if you uh, do some research about Gog, Magog, and Rosh, and, uh, and Daniel, and Ezekiel, and even in Revelation, we know that uh, this may be the push down. This may be the push that brings them down, all the way down into Israel, and brings a fight, and then there needs to be a, a peace brokered from there. Uh, it may not be, but it's interesting that Russia and China are aligning in these things um, uh, and for that. And we know that that where the peace deal is going to come out of all this in, at some point. Uh, but part of this deal is obviously that the outer temple is given over to the Gentiles. And I like that the Bible says that it's given to the Gentiles, that uh, not stolen. Uh, in my mind, it, it says two things, that it's part of the agreement. But the other part, I believe it's also God's sovereignty, that God's allowed this part of the temple to be given over to the Gentiles, that God has allowed this to happen in his time, uh, in his wisdom, you know, anything that goes on on earth, uh, God allows it for some reason. Uh, that nothing catches God by surprise, you know. Uh, that this is a part of his plan for the end days, uh, to have this temple to be uh, rebuilt uh, incomplete. And I think that's also uh, an effect of the cross. That when Jesus went to the cross, right, he, uh, the temple veil was torn. There was no need for a temple anymore. So that, of course, if these people are going to try and rebuild the temple, without God's true blessing on it, when we're supposed to be God's temple, that it's not going to be complete. It's not going to be to his specifications. It's not going to be to the way he wants it to be. It's going to be some amalgam of man trying to do their own thing uh, apart from God. And I think that even just the fact that the temple is incomplete in this manner uh, kind of speaks to that.
We know that the Antichrist at some point will go into this rebuilt temple and claim himself to be God. We know that one of the Roman Empire emperors did this when they took over Jerusalem. They slaughtered a pig there. Uh, but he's going to go in there and claim to be God. And I think that's right in the middle of this three and a half years of uh, the tribulation. And from there, this next three and a half years that we're going to see, this 42 months of the Gentiles trampling underfoot is from that point forward, uh, if my understanding is correct. Well, let's go on. It says, And I will give power uh, to my two witnesses, uh, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. If anyone desires to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. If anyone desires to harm them, he must be killed in this way. They have power to shut heaven that it may not rain during the days of their prophecy. They have power over waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. So we see that in this time that, you know, uh, God sends two witnesses. God sends two witnesses and gives them power to witness for this 42 months, for the second three and a half years of the tribulation. Um, it's interesting that the word power is even kind of an implied word. It's not there uh, in the, the original. Uh, but God gives unto his uh, witnesses. That God, I think in the sense, is giving of himself to these two men. He still wants to use men in these last days. He still wants to use people in these last days to preach the gospel. Uh, Jesus hasn't returned yet, and he's still sending people out to do his work. And I love that God does that. Um, uh, I think that this is very special. It's very similar in style to the Holy Spirit and the power of the Old Testament, to the prophets, uh, to King David, uh, that when God would do something through the prophets, they would do these miracles in and of a sense, uh, and signs and wonders. Like we talked, you know, I prayed about uh, Elijah before, right? Bringing fire down from heaven. Uh, we saw at Pentecost that God worked through the church, that God's power was on people. Uh, but now that these two witnesses are in this time, you know, remember that the church age is over. The church is gone. The church was raptured. People have come to faith, the tribulation saints, in this time. But they're not very effective. There's no way for them to be. The Holy Spirit isn't on the earth. Uh, we have this whole system of uh, oppression and beheading uh, for anyone who opposes the Antichrist going on. So this age of the church witness is over, but God is still faithful to put his witness uh, in Jerusalem at this time. When the Antichrist has claimed himself to be God, God sends his two witnesses who are witnessed before the God of the whole earth. That this guy claims to be God, has supernatural power, but God says, no, 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 I'm still going to give evidence that you're a lie. You know, anytime we look at uh, the message of the world, if we look close enough, we'll, we'll see that it's false. We'll see that it's a lie. Uh, as she was sharing with me, uh, somebody that she met, her and her husband, uh, she was into all sorts of new age spirituality, yoga things. Her husband is a, was a biologist, right? Uh, evolutionary biologist, right? And they both kept digging for truth. And who did they find? They found Jesus. They found that as they dug through these, you know, I'm not refuting science and certain things about science, but there's also a huge religious component there. And when you dig through and, and get through and search for truth, you'll find God. And I think it's uh, wonderful that God still does this uh, in spite of the world going on. In fact, one of the um, commentaries says, Such power, in fact, that they were able to witness for 1260 days in spite of the antagonism of the world. That these guys are able, despite the extreme uh, tyranny of the Antichrist and the world system and the system of the beast, 
that these two guys are able to stand out in the middle of the street for three and a half years and preach the gospel. But you know what it's going to take? Power on them such as never uh, been seen before on men. Even God allowed Jesus to be crucified at some time. And these guys will die at some time, but they have power on them for three and a half years to preach the gospel night and day to a world that is uh, more wicked than we can imagine. Um, the commentary talks that this is about something from Zechariah's day, Joshua and Zerubbabel, where they were uh, uh, olive oil representing the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, um, you know, that this is sort of a fulfillment of that. But I love that despite, you know, that the height of the AC thinking, Antichrist thinking that he's in charge, God puts these two guys there to just antagonize the whole world. To, you know, the whole world thinks it's got this new utopia that they've finally been enlightened and gotten rid of the church and that man's power is there and all this other stuff. They've achieved peace in the Middle East, right? We've got this one world system. Finally, we can all do progress and, and, and get forward. But God says, nope, I'm going to leave these guys here. You know, they were clothed in sackcloth. Uh, they were, you know, pictures of mourning prophets of old wore this. But these guys are clearly not of the world. They're not wearing the flashy suits of the TV preachers. They're wearing sackcloth and proclaiming the gospel night and day. And one thing I find interesting, I think we all would, is that fire proceeds from their mouth. That these guys, as they're out there, if someone comes up and tries to shoot them, someone tries to come up and club them over the head, someone tries to come up and do anything to them, they open their mouth, and like a dragon, <laughs> fire comes out and scorches them. I don't know if other people come up and try and remove these dead bodies, I don't know if the, the fire is so hot that they just get ev evaporated and spontaneously combust into nothing. But anyone who tries to oppose them can't get close to them. That fire comes out. It, it reminds me of the fiery flaming sword coming out of Jesus' mouth that we see, right? Um, it's also interesting, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The, and Nebuchadnezzar tried to ex get rid of anyone who would uh, not worship him with fire, right? Um you know, they have this power. And it says that anyone who tries to harm them will die by this method. That there's no one, you know, I, I feel like the desire to harm them is going to be so great that people aren't going to be able to resist. They're going to get in an airplane and go over there and try and deal with these people. And they're going to be scorched. Uh, there's some debate over who, over who these two are uh, by folks who are smarter than me. But I think it's pretty obvious in my mind and settled in my mind that it's Elijah and Moses. That he has power to shut heaven, no rain like Elijah. The other one has power to turn uh, water to blood, like Moses was given power to do, right? They have special protection similar to Elijah. Remember the Elijah and the chariots and all that? Uh, he was protected. Uh, and, you know, he, he fled from uh, Jezebel and everybody. But one thing that I noticed this time through is that they have the power to strike the earth with plagues whenever they desire. You know, in the time of Moses, God gave 10, 10 plagues to give. It was, go to Moses, try and get my people out. When he, when he refuses, send a plague to get him to repent. These guys, God says, whatever you want to do, go ahead and do it. Whatever kind of plague you want to bring on this wicked world, you've got my power to do it, guys. Go for it. You know, they've got God's, you know, plague credit card. They can ring up a new plague whenever they want to do it. Um, and I can't imagine uh, what that would be like. The Antichrist says something, something happens in the news, something happens else in the world, the guys go, uh, and strike a plague. I, w I really wonder how the world is going to spin it uh, in those days when they bring those plagues. 
It's also interesting that these guys, uh, Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets in Scripture, and Jesus was a fulfillment of that, the law and the prophets. And for time, we won't read it, but take a look at Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, it's pretty short, but uh, telling in my mind. Let's go on in uh, Revelation, uh, I'm sorry, chapter, not chapter, verse 7. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends from the bottomless pit will wage war against them and overcome them and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Those from every people and tribe and tongue and nation will see their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. Those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts to one another because those two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Uh, if you've ever seen footage from uh, different wars, especially in the Middle East in the past couple of decades, when a pilot would be downed or a soldier would be captured, there would be times when they drag their bodies through the streets and hang them up for the whole world to see, and they would rejoice and sing uh, over that, uh, that their enemy was captured. Uh, just sort of barbaric behavior, right? But these men, these two prophets, are allowed to finish their testimony. That It's not a moment earlier. The God gives them power for this exact amount of time to preach the exact amount of words God wants them to preach, to give out as many plagues as they want to do, and not a word is left unsaid. Not a day short of those three and a half years. Um, but somehow God allows them to be killed when that time is up. That the beast comes up, and he kills them. He makes war with them. I don't know if he has an army. I don't know if it's just by himself. You know, this man empowered with the, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? Possessed. Yeah, possessed by Satan at this point. He goes up and fights them one-on-one -on -one by himself. You know, again, trying to show himself God, right? Maybe he finally steps up and goes to get rid of them. He says, fine, I'm going to go do it myself. I don't know how that works. But he wages war against them. Uh, is it a quick fight? Is it a long fight? I don't know. But he wins, and God allows it. No one could stop them before, but God allows it at this time. And so for three and a half days, their dead bodies sit in the streets, and they don't want anyone to go bury them. They make a rule, leave them out there, don't touch them. You know, as a sign to the whole world that these prophets are done. Whatever their message was, the world will say their message was false. They were coming against our age of progress and our dear leader, and they're dead. They were preaching a, a, a hateful God, a bigot, a bigot God of uh, the old world, but we live in a new world now. And it's interesting that they call the city here Sodom and Egypt, or God calls it Sodom and Egypt. But it's clearly Jerusalem. It's where Jesus was crucified, it says. And it's sad that Jerusalem, God's holy city, the city of David, is now referred to probably the two worst things you could be referred to in Scripture if you're a city, other than Bethsaida, you know, what are you, Chorazin, right? Sodom, being that wicked Sodom and Gomorrah of the Old Testament that God brought judgment on, that God brought Lot and his uh, family out of, that fire and brimstone was rained on because of their extreme immorality, uh, things that I can't, wouldn't want to mention on the call anyway, but especially won't mention on the call with children on it. Uh, they rejected God's judgment, and they were burned uh, and destroyed uh, completely for it. But also Egypt, a, a picture of Egypt was a place where Israel was in bondage. Um, a picture of the sinful life before being freed by Jesus, that Jerusalem, the holy city, the great city, spiritually now is anything but. Spiritually now is a place of bondage. Spiritually now is a place of 
uh, extreme wickedness like never before. Remember, the Antichrist is there. He's, uh, he's claimed himself to be God there. Um, and that's sad. That's sad. I think that might speak to us that the rejection of Christ can only lead us to one place. Rejection of Christ will only lead us to one place in life, and that's extreme depravity. Extreme depravity. Physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, bondage, slavery. Um, you know, uh, that's what the world does. We've rejected Christ, and look at what's happened to our country in the past half century from rejecting Christ. In the past ten years. In the past two years. You know, whatever it is. If you look at it, and even in our own lives, you can tell when someone's started to walk away from the Lord. The things that begin to pop up in their life and uh, manifest in their life. It's one thing or the other. You're either going to have good come out of your life or not. And there's only one way for it to come out. But the scripture says that everyone on earth will see. Everyone on earth will see. No time in history has anyone been able to see anything that goes on on earth like our time now. We've got 10 minutes, so you guys are in luck. I'll let Google call the shots here. But no time in history could you see anything happen in the world. You know, think about 100 years ago. Think about 50 years ago, before even satellite TV, right? And the amount of effort it takes to see or send a letter. You know, we didn't even know North America existed for those of us in Europe and Asia until a couple hundred years ago. And now the whole world, every tribe, nation, tongue will see what's going on here. I mean, we look at Ukraine right now. You can go watch basically live footage of a war uh, going on uh, and in no time in history, right? Vietnam was what, the first televised war and it really changed the way we perceive war. And now anyone with a cell phone can go up and, and show anything in the world at any time with the internet. Uh, and whether that's what's going on here or not, um, I can't say for sure, but it certainly sounds like it from our perspective in 2022 that it'll be live streamed. Uh, that these people, there'll probably be clips on YouTube or whatever service is popular. People on Twitch live streaming what's going on with the two prophets and making fun of them or mocking them or whatever they're doing. I don't know. But for three and a half days, they're left dead. And what does the world do? Well, the world's probably outlawed Christmas by this time. It's already hard to say Merry Christmas. You know, you say Happy Holidays in the corporate world. Um, but they basically have Christmas. They dance around, they rejoice. They go out and they buy gifts for each other and celebrate that these two men have been silenced, have been killed, uh, and they make it a holiday, so to speak. And the, my favorite part is that they say that the prophets tormented them, that these people are so wicked that the two righteous men of God are torment to them. And yeah, the plagues obviously are torment, but the things that these men said tormented them. And look at the world today. You try and go... Uh, preach the gospel in the mall or at a street corner or in a, a city in the middle of the night, they're going to call you all sorts of things because you are a torment to them. The spiritual blindness of these people, do they remember the first woe? Do they remember being tormented after taking the mark and wanting to die but not being able to die? Do they remember the sun uh, getting scorching hot in the world and earthquakes and famines and war? And yet these guys are the torment to them. These guys are tormented. And that's, that's wickedness. Wickedness is tormented by good. And let's go on here in our last couple of minutes. Um, verse 11 through 14 says, And after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. 
And at that same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand men were killed in the earthquake, and the remnant were frightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past. Listen, the third woe is coming quickly. You see that they lay there for three and a half days. I don't have anything smart to say about the three and a half days, but I have a feeling that there's something there. I mean, obviously, Christ was on the ground for three days, right? And that was a sign of the resurrection. But for three and a half days, maybe it's a symbol of the three and a half years. I don't know. But after three and a half days, God breathed on them, and these men came back to life. We know the creation, God breathed on Adam. In Pentecost, the wind of God, the breath of God came in the Holy Spirit. But these men get up. Whatever happened, I don't know how they were killed, what it looked like, what their bodies looked like. But they get up, and they're resurrected right in the middle of the street, and the whole world sees it happen. The whole world dealt with them for three and a half years. The whole world partied for three and a half days while these guys were dead, and whoop, they got right back up. You know, the, the worst kind of trick birthday candle there is. Uh, their, their fun is extinguished when these guys come back. And a loud voice from heaven, just like when Jesus' ministry came, right? A loud voice from heaven. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? Listen to him. Well, God calls out and calls them up to heaven. And they ascended like Jesus did, but right in front of their enemies. The whole world, live streaming. Guys, look, look. Turn on whatever channel. Put on your phone. They're alive. There's a loud voice from heaven. These guys begin to rise up into heaven. Can you imagine? You've just been partying wickedly for three days, giving gifts, and all of a sudden these guys come back to life in front of you. These guys that burned everyone with the breath of the, out of their mouth, where the Bible was preached and you hated every word of it, and these guys come back to life. You thought your world leader, your Antichrist, had taken care of the situation. But no, your hope is extinguished. And God shows that there's no doubt where these guys came from. These guys can't stay dead, won't stay dead, won't shut up, can't be stopped, won't be stopped, just like the truth of God. It goes on forever. And God has power over life, over death, over times and seasons. He appointed their time to, to live, appointed the time to allow them to be died, and appointed their time to be resurrection. A picture of Jesus, a picture of the Word. It's interesting, too, that there's a great earthquake at this time. This is no joke, just like there was an earthquake uh, when Jesus was crucified. And it says that the rest who viewed them were afraid and gave glory to God. Now, I'm not sure that they worshiped God and said, God, you're good, you're holy, we love you. I don't think that happened, especially if they'd taken the mark. That probably couldn't happen. They made their choice. I think somehow just them finally being afraid, finally having holy fear on their lives, brought glory to God. Finally, these people who are wicked, who follow the Antichrist, who follow their heart and what feels good and speak truth to power and all that garbage. They truly worship God and allowing fear to be upon them. They haven't been afraid up to this point and now they are afraid. And now they are afraid. And the Bible says that the second woe was past, a third is coming. It's not even over yet. This could have been a great ending. They ascend, Jesus comes down, wipes everybody out, but it's not, it's not over yet. That uh, Alicia, can you go upstairs and sit down here? It's distracting, sweetheart. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. I just, it's hard for me to be able to focus with my kids and uh, on the video channel. Everything. 
No, no, don't apologize. You're fine. You're fine. Um, she's cute. I know it. It's hard. Um, but the second one was passed. That these people, they've resi- they've rejected God. God's given them every last chance. And I think God is, God didn't have to do this. They had the Bible. They, you know, I don't know that every Bible's burned. There's still believers in the world. People have had free will up to this point. It's only been, uh, you know, at the most seven years, right? So these people have had plenty of opportunity, I'm sure, in their lives beforehand to choose righteousness. And yet God still sent his uh, prophets there uh, with his power. And it just, no matter what happens in the world, guys, God's still in control. No matter who's in office, no matter who uh, becomes dictator, no matter what power they try and put over the world or have over the world, God is still in control. God's word will still go out. Uh, But while we still have breath, while we still have freedom, uh, we need to stand up for it. And uh, we're going to need God's power more and more to do that every day as the world goes darker and tries to exert more influence over us. Um, You think it's stopped now just because they've started to relax the mandates? Watch, something worse is going to come. Something worse is going to happen. Something worse is going to be twisted. And one more thing on Ukraine. Of course, my heart goes out to the people in Russia and Ukraine and those affected by war. But really question anyone, the same people who a couple years ago would tell you that they were worried about Donald Trump starting World War III are the same people telling us that we need to go to World War III. The same people telling you that it's right to kill babies and teach kids awful things and, and create race divisions and wars among us are the same people telling us to go over there. The same people who didn't want you to know about Hunter Biden's laptop and his being on a Ukraine oil board are the same people who want us to go over to war over there. Again, you know, I think we're in the last days. It's hard to tell the truth anymore. It's hard to pick a side anymore other than, well, all I know is what the scripture says. All I know is that the world is aligning under the power of the Antichrist and he will come out of a unified Europe. He will come out of of, uh, 10 kingdoms and rulers and exert his power over them. And I don't think Russia and China are going to like that too much. And uh, there's going to be some conflict there. Uh, but know that the things we're witnessing uh, are coming to pass. But as I think we have less than a minute, uh, God, would you bless uh, your word? Let it not return void. And help us be strong in your power by your spirit in these last days. And thank you, God, that we have the promise that we won't be around for any of this. But God, for those who are, may they repent and turn, if at all possible. God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 May God bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you before this phone call hangs up. <laughs> there is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for us soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until.